Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 227. The only place where success comes before work is in the dictionary. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I am so excited to introduce a very special guest, Dom Miliano. Dom, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? Oh, man, I've got the seatbelt on, five-point harness, and uh, if I had a Hans device, I'd have it on, but I trust you. You're not going to hit me into the bar. Well, thank you. I sure hope I don't hit any walls here. I'll do my best. Dom Miliano is the editor for Motorsports Marketing Resources, MMR. He's a contributor to several other automotive magazines and has contributed to those of Rob Report, Vintage Motorsport, Cavallino, Victory Lane, Auto Week, Prancing Horse, Panorama, and many others where he writes about cars, he conducts road tests, and he provides photography. Dom also writes and contributes to numerous Concord and racing event programs. Dom, I've told our listeners just a tiny bit about you. Would you take a moment and share a little more about your history, your career, your interests, and of course your passion for automobiles? Yeah, it's a funny, I would say a circuitous route. <laughs> uh, I grew up an abused child. We didn't have a car in, in, uh, in the family until I bought one in, uh, when I was 18. My, oh, no, tell a, me it isn't so. <laughs> it's true. It's true. My father was a bus driver, and, and he told my mother that she didn't need to learn how to drive because he would always be there to drive her, and, of course, that wasn't true. He died very young, mm. and uh, when his 49 Chevy got towed away, you know, my, my, I, that was it. There were no cars in the family from four years old until 18. And one day I was riding along in a bus, and there was a 57 Chevy convertible on the, on the side mm-hmm. of, of a road with a white shoe polish sign on it said, for sale, $350. And I got off the bus. I talked to the guy. I knew nothing about cars. I just knew I wanted one. Mm-hmm. And uh, I put the money together, and I bought it. And, uh, and that was the first car in the family. And 57 Chevy convertible, $350 sounds pretty good, right? <laughs> that, that was... That got me going, and I became sort of a motorhead after that because it was a terrible car. Mm. It needed everything. Yeah. And uh, so I had to learn how to change stuff and fix stuff. I had to change the, car- the carburetor because it needed a new carburetor. Uh-huh. I didn't have any tools. So I would run to the hardware store, buy one tool, come back, and, and loosen something. And then when I needed another size 
you know, wrench, I'd run to the hardware store until eventually the guy took pity on me and he sold me an adjustable wrench. <laughs> but I became, you know, a ham-fisted mechanic after that and kind of drove that car until I blew the motor up street racing. No, oh, I've heard that before on this show. Well, you know, the, that's the problem where you have too much testosterone and not enough talent. You know? <laughs> yes, yes. Who was it that said, I got halfway through the corner and ran out of talent? I'm trying yeah, to remember but, who that was. but <laughs> I don't remember, but it's a, I, I use it all the time. I take a lot of photographs at my favorite racetrack, which is Lime Rock. Mm -hmm. And you get to, if, if you get the start of a race, everybody that knows anything about racing at Lime Rock is at that first corner uh, in the, at the beginning of a race because that's where you find out whether they have talent or not. Yes, so. that's where the mayhem can occur. Yeah. But anyway, that was that was me, and I, and I went after that. I I got really hooked on the European stuff because I bought a Beetle after that, and then foolishly, instead of leaving what was probably the most reliable automobile and, uh, available at the time alone, I uh, I went and I you know um, there was this company called MP EMPI. Oh yeah. Uh, and they so I put a short shifter in it. I put uh, a, oh this is going to date me an A track player uh, in it, <laughs> and I uh, and it was a six volt car, so you had to get a converter to twelve volt, and and I had a I had a whole bunch of little things to put an empty camber compensator, coney shock, wider tires, and then I supercharged it. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. It was an amazing transformation of an additional five horsepower. <laughs> you know, I spent a lot of money with MP back in the day in high school. I had a Carmen Ghia, and I did pretty much all the same things that you're talking about. Yeah. Well, the Carmen Ghia was, uh, uh, you know, the Carmen Body Company because that's the next significant car that I bought. I bought a '65 Porsche in, uh, and and I sold. I had to sell my wife's car to afford it, and then I overrode on our checking account, uh, eight hundred and fifty dollars, uh -oh. just to be able to buy this thing. And I, and I I loved that. I, that that got me started on the racetrack and stopped me in Concours Rally. That was sort of the life-changing moment is buying a Porsche. Yeah, yeah, I think it is for many people. Well, we're going to learn a little bit more about your experiences with automobiles and what you're doing at MMR. But as we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guest for a success quote. And this is something that's been instrumental in your life. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So, Dom, take the wheel. Well, that's a great one because as much as I love automobiles and been working with cars since the 70s, I actually had corporate jobs and I had people working for me and with me. And I used to tell them the only place where success comes before work is in the dictionary. And if you're going to, you know, if you're going to be successful in any job, you got to put the time in, you got to put the effort in, you got to break a sweat. And uh, they look at me like I'm this old fogey and I tell them, you know what, there isn't anybody that's been successful that uh, hasn't worked very very hard to get there and and you know that's just something that i believe in and i and i have evidence to prove it because you know i i started with nothing and i you know i i, I certainly have a lot more stuff than i ever thought as i, I would as a kid <laughs> absolutely hard work ten tenacity perseverance i hear that from so many so many of these guests that join me here on cars yeah it's absolutely true it takes a lot of sweat and, and uh, blood sweat and tears sometimes for sure would you share a story with us that instigated your passion for cars? I know you talk about being on that bus and seeing that first car, but is there a pivotal moment in your life when you really knew you were a car guy? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I can, I can, rem I'm, I could relive it, but it's like closing my eyes. I graduated from college in '72, 
And at about that time, Card and Driver had this thing called the Reader Beater Challenge with showroom stock. Mm-hmm. And uh, my friend and I said, gee, they're up at this place in Connecticut called Lime Rock, and they're going to race cars. Don't you want to go? And we piled in my Beetle, and we, and we drove up to Lime Rock to, to watch the race. And uh, two things happened. One is I drove over to the track is sunken down at a certain point and you drive over a bridge to get into the paddock area. Mm-hmm. It was warm enough that the windows were open and unmuffled cars were racing and they and we were in traffic. So I was on the bridge for maybe a minute or two and that's about a lap for a fast car there. So the, we, we had the whole field go under us <laughs> at racing speeds because the downhill was really fast. Yeah, And that's it. The hairs on the back of my neck stood up then as they are now. And I said, that's it. I got to do this. And I went to every one of their races. I've been to the track. I can't even tell you how many times. I've driven it a lot. But that was it. That was the moment. But the second the second moment of it was I also had a camera with me. Mm-hmm. And Pat Bedard crashed out in that race. And I was at the right spot at the right time. And I had some really good photographs that I took. And I sent them into the magazine. And I, and I got a letter back from, um, uh, I forget the fellow's name, Gene something Barra maybe, but he was, uh, he was their art director. And he wrote to me and he basically said, I wanna, I'm going on a trip you know, for an assignment, but I'll, I'm gonna, I want to talk to you when I get back. Please call me. And I had just started teaching it, and I never followed up, which is one of the things we'll talk about is the uh-huh. regrets in my life. <laughs> yeah, oh my goodness. And little did you know that was maybe the launching point for what was coming down the road? Oh, absolutely. I had, I had no clue that, that, there, that these things even existed. Road racing, you know, because you're on television, you kind of don't, you don't get that sound and that feel. And mm-hmm. and then I went there and I said, you know, there, there's almost nothing that I like doing that's more fun than this. Yeah. You know, uh, I have enjoyed racing in cars my whole life. And when I lived in Southern California, they ran some Grand Prix races at the Del Mar Fairgrounds. And I lived in Del Mar at the time. And my wife always let me indulge my passion for cars. But I said, hey, you want to go to the races with me? And she kind of went, well, okay. And after that day, she said, now I get it. Being there yeah. is a whole different deal. That was exciting. And I was like, all right, <laughs> I've converted another one. So what I'd love to do now, Dom, is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl under the hood and talk about, have you talk about a huge challenge or a great failure that you've faced along the way the most important part of this has to do with how you overcame that, and what did you learn from it? Well, I started out as a school teacher in '72. I graduated and I became a school teacher. And, and as odd as it sounds, as I taught chemistry, and uh, but I also was a self-taught photographer because I could do wet chemistry. I was in a lab a lot. A neighbor was a photographer, professional photographer, and he had a huge project to get out that required hours and hours, you know, overnight type of thing, 24 hours straight, mm-hmm. working in his lab. And he knew I could be trusted, I guess, with handling chemicals and not killing either one of us. <laughs> so he asked me to come over and help him. And I worked all night into from Saturday night until almost Monday morning, uh, helping him get this job out. And instead of paying me, <laughs> which I wanted him to do, yeah. uh, he gave me a camera that I didn't know how to use and sent me on my way. And I brought it to school the next next day, and my friend's um, roommate was the editor of the yearbook and the uh, newspaper, and he saw the camera, and he took a roll of Tri-X film out of his pocket. You know, the graybeards in the audience will know what that is. <laughs> yes. Showed me how to load the camera, showed me a little bit about F-stops and shutter speeds, and he says, go take pictures, and then we'll take the film out, and, and then we'll 
we'll process it together and we'll see what you got. And yeah. I shot 36 pictures. We went together and he looked at them and he says, these are really good. You have a good eye. And three of the pictures actually got published on that first roll of film I ever shot. Oh, so cool. it, was like a, it was like a huge thing for me. But, you know, I was a school teacher and I wasn't going to give up, you know, my teaching career for photography that I didn't know much about. And so what happened to me along the way was I became more and more involved as a sort of a second career. So I've been doing automotive photography since 72, and, uh, but I've also had real jobs. Mm -hmm. But the big challenge, you know, along the way is, and I want to, I guess, maybe the message I would get along the younger people or people that, that can get maybe a challenge that they don't know what to do is when you're designing systems or working with computers, it's just zeros and ones. And if you're really smart or you're really patient or, you, or if you make your own luck with persistence, you can get the computer to bend to your will. And so I had a challenge one time. I was photographing a Formula One race at Montreal, and I had done it several times and very successfully didn't kill anybody or myself. When I got there, this particular event, my magazine didn't earn credentials that would get me, you know, trackside, mm -hmm. hot track. Oh. So I'm on assignment. I have something that I have to do, and I'm I'm screwed essentially because I can't get any pictures. So rather than get discouraged, get in the car and drive home, what I did was uh, walked around the paddock area and I found a spot where there was a fire truck mm -hmm. that had a perfect view of turn one. And I, in my broken high school and, and college French, I talked to the the guy who was in charge of it. I made friends with him. I promised him I would I would send him photographs and. And he let me sit on top of the, the fire truck through the whole weekend. Oh, cool. And I got great photographs. I kept my promise, of course, and sent him pictures. And this was a particular race where uh, Olivia Penny had a major shunt at, at the end of the race. Mm -hmm. And so there was no, no champagne ceremony. So I, didn't miss, I did not miss that. And what I did get was uh, John Todd and Michael Schumacher walking back with these concerned looks. And I was in the perfect spot. Just, just to get that shot, and that ran full page in the magazine. And then the other <laughs> thing was, I hung around because I was shooting for a Ferrari magazine. I hung around by their paddock area, and I watched every time Michael came off the track, he would kiss his then girlfriend, now wife, and then go have a an espresso and and you know debrief. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know what, he's going to do that every lap. So I I sat there, I waited, I positioned myself, I was unmovable, and I got. You know, I got a great shot, and that actually ran in the magazine. Turning uh, lemonade from lemons, <laughs> that's a fantastic story. Let's shift gears here, Dom, and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to talk about one of those career aha moments, uh, one of those times when the headlights come on and it illuminates the way for a new idea or a new direction that you had. It's complicated a little bit. One of them is that shooting at a, at a race, you know, action photos at a race is really a complicated thing. It's not as easy as people look. I, I needed a photograph for an article of my car on a track, mm -hmm. and I needed it with me driving because I have a distinctive helmet. And so I handed my camera to a friend, and I had him stand in a particular spot, and I did everything that you could do. You know, the, I, I showed him what lens to use. I showed him how to tan. I showed all these things, and I did 20 laps. So he had a chance to shoot maybe 200 photographs. Mm -hmm. And out of that, only one was marginally acceptably usable in oh, the article. <laughs> the point is, there was a, in that almost the exact same spot, I was shooting essentially my first vintage race. I had credentials. I was trackside. I was really, in, you know, saying this is, it was nerve-wracking because it's very hard to do. But I know a lot about being on the track. I've driven a lot on the track. And I'm watching this guy in a red Corvette 
go around, and the trap is, track is a little damp, and he's coming down a downhill, and every time he comes down a downhill, he's a little squirrel, and what I said is, he's going to spin, and I know that he's going to spin. So what I did is, this is in the film days, I put a fresh roll of film on one of my cameras, and I, and I didn't take pictures of anything else to waste the frame, and I photographed him every time, and I got four, three or four of the best pictures I've ever taken of this guy, Coming down the hill, I got the moment of no return. I got mm. the, he's, he's lost it, you know, with all tire smoking. Right. And then there he's completely parallel to the track and going. And after that, I said, you know, darn it, I can do this. Yeah. I, know, I know about racing. I now I know enough about photography to um, capture what I want to capture on the track because I know about light and I know about exposure. And now I know about capturing action. So that, that was an aha moment for me is that I can do this. I love it. Yeah, it's possible. How about proudest career moments? I would assume you've had many, but is there one in particular that stands out for you? Owning a Porsche changed my life. When I joined the Porsche Club, I, I uh, always had a camera, and I always I always liked to scribble stories. And so I became a sort of a con- regular contributor to the regional magazine. I was known pretty much for being able to take good pictures. So one day the phone rings, and a guy calls me and says there's a new magazine in california called porsche which eventually became excellence Mm -hmm. and they want to do a story on my car which they're going to do but they don't they don't want to send a photographer from california to new jersey can you photograph my car for me and i said yes i'll do it and i called the magazine and i said i'm going to photograph this car for the article and uh, they i told them who was uh and they said oh okay i said well what do you want do you want slides you want prints you want 35 millimeter two and a quarter or four by five there was this dead silence on the other end of the phone, like I was speaking a foreign language. Uh-huh. He said, I don't know, just shoot. With... They didn't know much about it. And uh, I said, okay. So what I did was is I shot with a four by five, a two and a quarter and 35 millimeter. And I worked from dawn till, till essentially there was no light. And magic was, this is the first time I ever shot for a professional, you know, professionally. I'd done a lot for my local magazine uh-huh. and I got on the cover and I got eight or ten pages inside. The guy wrote me the check, and he said, that was very nice. And that little voice in the back of my head says, don't let this opportunity go. And I said to him, well, you know, I can do more than just take pictures. I can write. And he said, I'll write something. And I've been writing for that magazine since 1988. Very nice. Awesome. That's a great story. I love that. Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special car and if you could share a memory you have with that vehicle oh sure the easy one would be a 57 chevy convertible because that was my that was my very first car mm-hmm. and we used to that's almost too easy uh but I, where i lived i lived by the george washington bridge in new jersey and there was a time when route 80 was not completed and there was a junkyard at the end of this like 10 or 15 mile stretch of a billiard table smooth uh, uh not even asphalt it was concrete and there was a junkyard there where, you could, where we all bought our parts. And so my friend Billy and I used to go there, take turns in driving. And because there were no cops and it was downhill, we used to try to bury the needle in our cars. <laughs> so that was a, a really stupid thing to do because we had no talent, no skill, ball tires, and, and uh, you know, no seatbelts even in those days. Yeah. But the, really the first special car I, I own is a Porsche, 1965 Porsche 356 mm. C Coupe. Yeah. I bought it at a, a 356 registry meet. It was fun. It was fast. And this kid I went to grammar school with, when he saw it in my, my driveway, he, he, he said, you know, he says, we both own Beatles, right? And they go, yeah, I own a Beatle. He owned a Beatle. He says, but you drive a Porsche, 
is, is every time you get in it, it's like that first time you ever drove a Beetle. <laughs> and so the pusher opened a lot of doors for me. It allowed me to do a career change. It allowed me to write about magazines. I won rallies, autocrosses. Uh, I won a, a parade first in class. Nice. Uh, with that car. It was life-changing. I mean, I, through that car, I got an opportunity to work for a big company. I went from teaching to working for a major corporation. And in three months, we made, I made enough money from the job change, you know, salary increase, that we bought a house. Oh. So that was changing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, fantastic story. I love that it. That car's pretty darn special. Yeah, absolutely. How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle you've let go that you really wish you had back in your garage? Well, honestly, uh, yeah, again, you would probably say the 57 Chevy convertible because I, I sold it for 100 bucks after I blew the motor up. But, yeah, I'd like to have that car back. But really... When we got married, my wife didn't have a car, and I had two. And I didn't want her to drive one, either one, because she didn't know how to, at the time, she didn't drive stick very well, and she had a horrible commute. So what I did was uh, we, worked, we worked it out, and I, I found a 1970 Peugeot 504. Hmm. And it was, it was her car, but we both loved it. And to buy the Porsche, we had to sell the Peugeot. And I wouldn't say a, a month, but there isn't like six months goes by where she doesn't lament the fact that we sold that car because it was her first car and she loved it and it was comfortable and it was it was just a very cool European car. Yeah. So I wish I had a, if I could find a 70 Peugeot, I'd buy it for her. Well, I think you're one of the first people I've ever heard that would want to have a Peugeot back. Well, that's the funny thing is uh, that Peugeot took me to Lime Rock many times. Mm -hmm. We used to go watch the races there, and because we were in the Peugeot, she would she would go with me. Ah. So my wife was involved. And the funny thing is, we went with another couple, and the guy got to ride in the back seat, and he's sitting in the back seat, and he says, "You know, this is one of the most comfortable cars I've ever sat in." And when it came time to get rid of it, I sold it to him, ah. and he had it for years. The only thing wrong with that car that I could say today would be that it rusted. Yeah. You know, but mechanically, it was bulletproof. I'm a terrible mechanic because I'm impatient, but I figured out how to do brakes. I did tune-ups and oil changes, uh, all the little electrical glitches that can happen with cars. I did everything on that thing that needed to be done, and it ran really well. Well, good. Yeah, so that's a Peugeot. <laughs> well, good. Go. Well, good. I'm glad to hear. I'm glad to hear that about a Peugeot. That's great. How about current projects? Is there something you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? One of the many things that I do is I'm a, uh, a blogger for a, uh, a website called examiner.com. I blog about BMWs. Mm -hmm. A fellow out of the blue sent me an email and, and said, I see you. I'm one of your followers on, on examiner.com. I want you to write something for my a magazine, and uh, I'm, you know, I fit into the demographic. It's an over 55 uh, active leisure magazine, and the guy, you know, offered me the opportunity to write for them, and that opens. Since I write about Ferraris, BMWs, and Porsches, that's pretty much all I, I usually drive because this is just me. Some people don't feel this way, but if I'm not going to write about something, I'm not going to ask a manufacturer to give me a car for free just so I can have a, you know, have the experience of wearing their material, the machines out. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to write about something, I treat it very nicely and then I give it back the way I got it. But if I don't think I'm going to write about it, I never drive anything like that. Well, now I get the opportunity with this guy to, to drive stuff that I normally wouldn't drive. So I just did an article on an Alpha 4C. Ah. So that's really exciting because that opens up a lot of doors. Yeah. And then there's another magazine that's also a local magazine because that one's on Long Island. This one's in New Jersey. It's called Hudson Mod. 
Hmm. And uh, what Hudson Mod is, is kind of a lifestyle magazine as well, but this is not for over, not the over 55 set. It's the the more affluent uh, reader set, people that are, that can that want and can afford good stuff. Mm-hmm. So I did a, a a short piece on the Maserati 100th anniversary edition car, and now I, I and it's being finalized for publication. Nice. Now here's a very introspective question for you, Dom. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be, and why? Yeah, well, it'd have to be air-cooled, and it'd have to be, I, I would love to be, uh, you know, an air, air-cooled air Porsche. And it's not the 993 that everybody thinks since that was the last one. It's not the 993, because the car that I I kind of wish I was, if you saw the be, the beginning of Lamar and Steve McQueen driving uh, in a 911. Yeah, that slate gray 911. <laughs> that's the one I want. I want to be that car. <laughs> that's the one I want to be. Because I, I actually have a very personal story. I never met Steve McQueen, but my mother, since so we didn't have a car, we went everybody, everywhere by train or, or, or by bus. And we were coming back from Coney Island uh, after a day at the beach. And I was probably about 10. And uh, my sister and I usually fought like cats and dogs. And we were, we were so beat, we were just being nice to each other. And this woman comes up to my mother and says, you know, your kids are being are very well behaved. And she says, yeah, I'm really surprised. And, and my son... <laughs> because he's missing his favorite TV show. And she goes, oh, what's your favorite TV show? And I said, Wanted Dead or Alive with Steve McQueen, Josh Randall, best show on television. And she goes, well, let me tell you, Steve McQueen is my son-in-law. And she turned to my mother and said, and if, and if uh, you give me your address, I'll have him send you an autographed picture. Oh, cool. Well, I'll be darned if he didn't do that, or she didn't do that, but it was I got two autographed pictures, and he also sent me uh, a plastic toy model of the gun that he used, the mare's leg. Yeah. And I had that for years until I broke it or whatever. But that's why I, I think Steve McQueen was the coolest guy in the world. <laughs> that's a great story. So, Dom, up next is the last lap. But before we put the pedal to the metal, here's a little something for the Car Show listeners. Carpe Viem. Seize the road. It's the motto at carpegear.com, where you'll find the little red racing car. An award-winning book written and illustrated by passionate car guy Dwight Knowlton. It's a spectacular way to introduce children to the love of cars. It's an international award winner, and Yahoo Autos calls it the best kid's book ever. Plus, it's printed in the USA. I may be an adult, but this kid loves the little red racing car. Dwight is finishing a second book in collaboration with Sir Sterling Moss about the story of his record-breaking win of the 1955 Mille Miglia. Check out Dwight's Carpe Viem brand, where you can find his books, shirts, and more that embrace his seize-the-road philosophy. Enjoy Carpe Viem at CarpeGear.com, and be sure to sign up for his newsletter while you're there. That's CarpeGear.com, C-A-R-P-E, Gear.com. All right, Dom, we're back, and we're entering the last lap. This is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Sure. What is the best automotive advice you've ever received? Don't buy a car in the rain. And don't <laughs> buy a car at night. Because <laughs> <laughs> you can't really see what's going on, right? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, but that's that's good advice. And, and the other second good advice is if you're on the track in a Porsche, don't lift. <laughs> don't lift. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Could you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? Again, that's what we, I think I mentioned it a little earlier is that there, there are going to be problems that are going to be insurmountable. You know, when you first face them, you can say, this is it, I'm dead, I'm not going to, you know, like the challenge I had at the Formula One race and, and, and a whole bunch of other things. And what I do is 
I call it leaning on a problem. You you push on it and you logically approach. You, know, you you don't lose your patience and you push and try and think and keep notes and and then move forward. As an example, of my I, we were doing a prep uh, prep for my. I have an old Porsche now still, and we're doing some prep for it to get it ready for the track. And uh, I lost my clutch pedal, and the guy that was helping me knows a lot more about this. He says, oh, that's a slave cylinder. Making some phone calls and, and getting some people together, we managed to solve the problem, even though the car was unmovable and I was getting, you know, I could have panicked. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what? It's a, it's, it's a simple system. We looked up the diagram, went on the Internet. We just leaned on it, and we started early, we ended late, but in the end of the day, I drove it home. I like so that. Lean on a problem. Don't get discouraged, and be and you know and and you'll be successful. Very nice. I know there are a lot of resources out there, but if there is there one in particular you could share with the car show listeners, you think is worthwhile? I think the MMR resource, the you know, my motorsports resource mm-hmm. MMR site, is really good for people that want to find stuff, and they want to find stuff that's been vetted by an expert. And Peter, my you know my boss is an expert. Uh, he's in the automotive industry for years. So that's a great site to find people to work on your car or parts for your car. There are several shops that I have very close personal relations with, not fiduciary, but, but just I know them and I trust them. Mm-hmm. And the guy that works on my Porsche is a guy named uh, Will D. Giovanni at Precision Motorsports Racing. He's a good driver, but he's, uh, and this is a compliment, he's anal. Uh, nothing leaves the shop unless he's touched it, driven it, and basically put his thumbprint on it saying it's good sure and then there's a couple of fellas that that worked on my my old my 356 that that helped it get to be a national prize winner is the Patterick brothers in chatham new jersey mm. john Patterick is recognized as, as one of the true concord experts and restoration experts in the porsche world mm-hmm. he's really good and if you've and if you've got a ferrari there's a there's another you know another guy in new jersey is a, the classic coach in Elizabeth, and I've been to that shop a lot because I do stories on cars that they've worked on. Mm-hmm. And they just recently finished a restoration of my friend's 275 GTS, and he essentially pushed, took it from the shop, pushed it into a trailer, and and took it to uh, Cavallino, and he won almost a hundred points wow. at, in platinum in his class. And then he won a prestige award at, in Mar-a-Lago. So they do phenomenal work. They're, yeah. they're really the best. And how about a book? Is there one book in particular you think the Cars Out listeners should read? Uh, I, I can tell you that Fast Guys, Rich Guys, and Idiots by Sam Moses <laughs> is is phenomenal. It's it's a page turner. Say that about a car book, right? It's a really, really good, fun book. Uh, I love it. But the other one, obviously, everybody that, that knows anything about driving on a track is there's Going Faster by, by the, that's the Skip Barber Racing Manual. That's a great book, too, if you're going to drive on a track. I would recommend buying that one. And, of course, the easy answer is uh, The Last Open Road by Burt Levy. <laughs> Those are probably the three that came to mind. If you can find Fast Guys, Rich Guys, and Idiots, you'll send me a thank you note. It's that good. <laughs> okay, those are great. And Burt's been a guest here on Cars yeah, as well. He's a fantastic guy. All of his books are, are really great. Listeners, you can find links to all these great resources at carsyad.com slash Dom Emiliano. All right, Dom, we're up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a real doozy for a car guy like you. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, but don't worry about the cost, because today I'm going to foot the bill, what would that one vehicle be and why? As I get older, I'm probably going to be at a time where I don't 
think I'm going to want to drive aggressively on the track. I may want to go, you know, for some touring days. So I think what's going to happen, because I, I used to be a really, really good rallyist. I won two regional championships as a navigator in the Porsche Club. Mm-hmm. So I, I always, in fact, the first trophy I ever won in my life was a was a rally trophy. So I'm partial to rallying. I've, I've written articles about rallying and stuff, so I love it. So I think I would want to have a car that would be uh, vintage, rally eligible and um even though i love porsches i would get a pre-war bmw 328 put a volvo transmission in it and instead of the the fragile bmw transmission and then go to the mealy Melia. that that would be <laughs> what i would want it for and you know you're invited to any vintage event in this country if you have that kind of a car yeah i love the way they look i have some photographs there's a guy named jeff McAllister raced one uh, when they had a race in Philadelphia at the Fairmont Park. Mm-hmm. They have a picture of a guy named Jeff McAllister going around a corner on two wheels, the car tipped up. And I said, if he can go that fast in that old car, that's a car for me. <laughs> I love it. Beautiful, beautiful cars. I had the pleasure of spending a day photographing one of those years ago. A local uh, owner up here in the Pacific Northwest had one that she loaned to me, and uh, just wonderful, spectacular cars. Dom, you've taken me on a great ride today. I knew you would, and I've really enjoyed your stories. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with us today. If you could give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that BMW 328, what would it be? Well, the thing that I I find is that if you have a passion for anything, if, you know, if you're just one of those people who goes, you know, not not just a, a foot deep. You know, there are people that that are a mile wide and a foot deep. You got to find something, especially with kids, because I have there's three grandkids sort of in our family, and I'm trying to make a couple of the boys real car guys. Mm-hmm. I want them to be a mile deep. You know, so explore the thing that gets you excited. It doesn't have to be cars. It has to. It could be art. It could be music. It could be dance. It, it could be writing. And it could be your your job. But don't. Don't dabble around the edges. Go in all the way, and the further you get into it, the more I think your life will mean to you. You know, your your job, your family. Don't go halfway. Great advice. What's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and what you're doing? Well, you can go to the MMR site. You know, www.mmrsite.com, and uh, um, and I also have a um, you know an email account, Mister Car Guy, all one word, at Gmail. And that's M-I-S-T-E-R, Mr. Car Guy. Uh, they need to get hold of me. <laughs> great. Awesome. And Peter's been a guest here on Cars yeah. Great site. Great guy. You can listen to his show here at Cars yeah as well. Listeners, you can find links again to everything that Dom has shared with us at CarsYeah.com. Just put Dom into the search box and his show notes page will pop right up for you. Dom, thanks for being so generous with your time and expertise and for sharing your experiences with me and the listeners. Until we talk again... I'll see you down the road. Uh, this was a lot of fun. I'm, I'm honored to be on the show with some of those uh, fabulous people you have on your site. I think I'm probably uh, among giants. <laughs> well, it's been my pleasure and it's been an honor to have you as a guest here. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks again. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah! Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up! a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!